Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. No, it's, it's an honor to be here and I'm honored that Pastor Don would have me substitute for him. Uh, I can't be your pastor, obviously. I'm not called or equipped to do that or, or anointed to do that. He is. I thank God for he and Jessamy and thank God for the, the relationship we've had with Tree for so many years and it's just so good to see so many familiar faces. That tells me that a lot of good things are going on when you, year after year that I come, I see the same faces over and over again. I see a lot of new faces too, but the same faces over and over again. Why? Because that's the sign of a healthy church. And sure, there's always turnover and transition, especially in today's society with job changes and, 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 and different things and uh, transitioning neighborhoods and schools and, and, and taking people out and different things. But to see the same people over and over again is a blessing. But there's no way in one service I can communicate everything I like to. So we have a resource table out there. We have some CDs. We have some books. I don't think we have any DVDs left. But uh, this is called the, top, the parents' top 10 list. I don't know if you've recognized lately, but uh, there's a lot of parents that just shouldn't have had children. <laughs> because they have no clue what to do with them. They just, they just reward bad behavior by, by you know, giving them candy and just giving in to them and yielding to them. But that's not what God's design is for children. The Bible says in Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. It's talking about a family there. So God is the one who created the home, so we ought to follow God's design for a family. Amen? God is the author of family, and I know there's, a, there's trying to be a redefinition of what marriage is today, but if you didn't make it, you don't get to redefine it. Don't get me started. But there's all this attitude and all this stuff going on, but I don't know about you, but I've lived long enough to recognize that what it's like today, yeah, there's some better things, but what it's like today regarding marriage and parenting and family and children is much, much less than it should be. I told the men yesterday in the men's breakfast, uh, if, if you miss that, you shouldn't miss the next one. But um, my number two grandson, my number one grandson, I, I should say, he graduated from Air Force BMT just a few weeks ago. Now he's in Biloxi, Mississippi, training as an air traffic controller. But my number two grandson, he just finished his early stages of, or, or latter stages of boot camp in the Marine Corps at Camp Pendleton, California. And he, he, is, he is a squad leader and he's only 18. And the reason he's a squad leader at 18 is because it's so hard to find leaders that are teenagers today. Come on, somebody. And it's just remarkable. He started out, there were 100 and over 125 in his platoon, and now it's less than 60. And I asked one of my, my, one of my friends that is a minister, and, and he's a, a, a longtime Marine and, and a veteran and and uh, was in Vietnam and was a, was a leader and uh, uh, black ops and all kinds of stuff. He's friends with 
a lot of high brass today, even still. And I said, why is that? He said, there's so much attrition and they're, they're telling me, all my friends are still in the Marine Corps and, and military, they're telling me there's so much attrition. In other words, so many, so many are backing out because of the quality of the young people that we're getting in, that are, that are engaging and starting and, and enlisting are not nearly what we used to have. Now, I'm not the only one that thinks that. You can ask any school teacher how, how different it is. If you've taught school more than 15 or 20 years, you know how different it is today and, and, and the restrictions that you have as a school teacher. Here's the problem. Parents have tried to outsource their parenting to the daycare, to the preschool, to the, to the school, to the Christian school, to the youth group, but God has only mandated, mandated one entity to parent children, and that's fathers and mothers. It's not even the grandmother's responsibility. Come on. Well, both parents are out of the home, have to work, blah, blah, blah. I get it. I was raised in a broken home. My dad left when I was four. My mom was an alcoholic and a drug addict. I get it. I understand it. My mom worked hard, but women didn't make much money in the 50s and 60s. I, I get all the tough stuff, but I found in the Word of God how to be a godly parent. That's what this series is about. I'm not trying to sell series. I'm trying to help people. Amen? All, this, all of our sales just goes to re redoing more sales and redoing more product. It, we don't make any money off of it. We give away oftentimes in churches more than, we, more than we sell. It's not about that. With this series, you'll get a free mini book called Confessions for Raising Winning Kids. I didn't write the book. I had to buy the book. You can buy the book for just $3 by itself. Every parent, every grandparent ought to have that mini book. If you cannot afford it, I'll buy it for you. Even though I have to buy it from my, my resource and buy, buy it from the author, uh, author, I'll buy it for you because it's so important. It's necessary. It's amazing how many hundreds of people will walk by and not get something like that and then wonder when hell breaks loose in their home, I don't know why this is happening. Duh. You know what that is in the Greek? Duh. This is called the language of faith. The language of faith is necessary for our lives. Why? Because God has a particular vernacular and terminology that will get you where you need to go. Just like at your work. If you don't learn the vernacular, if you don't learn the terminology, you're not going to be successful at your job. You're going to lose it. If you try to go to work and say, hey, can you hand me that whatchamacallit that goes on the thingamajig? You're not going to work there very long, especially if you work in surgery. <clears throat> Come on, somebody. But we understand that in every field, every vocation, but for some reason, in the kingdom of God, we think, well, if God wants me to be healed... If God wants me to prosper, if God wants me blessed, he'll just get it to me. He knows where I live. That's like saying your banker, when he sees your account getting low, he's just going to fill it up. 
That ain't happening. They're going to take money out every month. They're not adding in it. It's your responsibility to add to it. The same thing spiritually. It's our responsibility to add to our spiritual account. And God will do his part, but we must do our part. It's called faith. Amen? Amen? Well, let me give these away. Who, who up front, who up front has, has a child under three years old? Look at that. That's really up front. All right. All right. Who over here would like to learn about the language of faith? Anybody? All right, brother. I want to throw it at you right there. Good catch. I hope you have a Bible. Turn your Bible to John chapter 6. But before you get there, as you're turning there, the Gospel of John, New Testament, chapter 6. As you're turning there, you know, I, I fly a lot, and I hear, see, witness all kinds of wild stories. And there was this, there was this flight to Toronto, Canada, and it was about to take off. They were, they just closed the, the door, <coughs> about to push back, taxi out to the runway. And there was a lady that got up from economy class and walked up to first class and found an empty seat and sat down. And just happened to be a blind lady. And the lead flight attendant witnessed this and she went back and she said, ma'am, may I see your ticket? She pulled it out, she looked at her ticket and she said, ma'am, you don't have a first class seat, you have an economy class ticket so I'm gonna to have to ask you to return back to economy class and be seated so we can depart. She said, I'm blonde, I'm beautiful. I'm going to Toronto and I'm staying put. Flight attendant shook her head. She walked up to the cockpit. The door was still open. And she told the captain and the first officer what just happened. The first officer got up out of his right seat and he went walking back to this lady. He said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but you, you bought an economy class ticket. You didn't pay for a first class ticket, so you have to return to your economy class seat. She said, I'm blonde. I'm beautiful. I'm going to Toronto, and I'm staying put. The co-pilot walked back into the cockpit, shaking his head. Captain looked at him and said, what happened? He said, she wouldn't budge. Captain says, you say she's blonde? Yeah, she's blonde. He said, I married a blonde. I speak blonde. <laughs> he gets up. He unbuckled. He gets up. He walks back to the lady. He leans down and whispers her in her ear. Immediately, she looked up at him. She stood up and she said, I am so sorry. And she returned to her economy class seat. As he's walking back, up to the cockpit, he's being seated. The lead flight attendant sticks her head in before she closes the door and she says, what did you say to her to get her to move back to her economy class seat? He said, easy. He said, ma'am, first class is not going to Toronto today. How many blondes forgive me? <clears throat> I tease my wife sometimes, she's a brunette, that she has blonde roots. 
Have you found John chapter six? This is a story in the Bible that we all know. It's one of the fundamental stories in the New Testament. It's also one of the stories and one of the truths that we often overlook because it's so obvious. Jesus makes a statement in this chapter. He said, I am the living bread. So what I want to talk to you about today is eating the living bread. Eating the living bread. Would you say that with me? Eating the living bread. Now this is so basic. This is so fundamental. We often just walk, skip, jump right over it. But bread is symbolic in the Bible of food, sustenance. I've been in scores and scores of countries around the world. It doesn't matter where I go. You can always find fresh bread. You can find bread in a street market. You can find it in a supermarket. You can find it on the side of the road. You can find it by a vendor on a bicycle. You can find a bread, a a baguette. You can find something. Most of the time in third world countries and and even European countries, it's not wrapped. It's not in a bag. It's not not in a wrapper like we get Mrs. Baird's or, or, or Rainbow or whatever. It's just open in a basket and you take some tongs, hopefully people use tongs and they put it in a a brown plastic bag or a paper bag. Many times on the mission field that sustained me because I didn't want to eat baby pig head. I didn't want to eat octopus that day. I didn't want to eat something that was staring at me. So I'd grab some bread, maybe some butter and and some water and I'm good to go for a period of time. But you can't live on that forever. But it will sustain you for a period of time. You know, when they, when our military and, and you know, people like Samaritan's Purse, et cetera, et cetera, they will supply emergency supplies for refugees or whatever. Many times what they'll do is they don't drop off loaves of bread, they drop off bags of wheat out of airplanes and parachutes and maybe trucks or whatever, they drop off that wheat. That wheat is not to eat. That wheat is to prepare bread for they can bake it. So bread is sustenance for us. So Jesus is saying here, I am the living bread. If you look at John chapter six, it's one of the longest chapters in your, in your New Testament. 71 verses long, we're not gonna look at all of it, but I encourage you to read the entire thing this afternoon, but we'll look at beginning in verse 32. And Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. What did Jesus say? He just said, the true bread of God is me. I'm the true bread. I'm the one that gives you life. Amen? In verse 34, he says, then he said to them, or they said unto him, Lord, forevermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. And he that believes on me shall never thirst. 
But I say unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. And all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. What did he just say? He just told us that if we would believe on him and we would hunger for him, we would thirst for him, and we would believe, believe in our heart, if we would have faith for Christ, if we would have faith in God, if we would have faith in the word, he will never reject us. He will never cast us out. He will never leave us or forsake us. But notice, we have to do the hungering. We have to do the thirsting. We have to do the pursuing. Many people, they see the scripture, they, they have one little pet scripture, like waiting on the Lord. And that's all they do is wait. They never pursue. And they've taken those scriptures out of context many times and they just kind of wait around and expect God to do everything. Look folks, Jesus has already finished his work on earth. We are his body, we are his hands, we are his feet, we are his voice, we are his mouthpiece in the earth today. Not because of us, but because we're filled with him. But we're the ones that do the pursuing. He's the one that does the filling. He's gonna fill us with living bread and he's gonna fill us with living water. Come on, somebody. That's what he does. But he's not just gonna force it on anybody. He's not gonna throw it down your neck. This is not a rush at a fraternity house where they force things down your throat. No, he's a gentleman. He will not come crash your party. Come on, somebody. We're not supposed to invite him to our party. He's already invited us to his. And we pursue, we hunger, we thirst, and he fills. There's all kinds of statements. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Come on. If any man hunger and thirst for righteousness, he shall be filled. All kinds of statements like that that Jesus made. I believe Jesus more than religion. So my pursuit of him is necessary for my filling and my hunger to be fulfilled. Same thing for you. I wasn't raised in church. I wasn't raised in the things of God. I, I wasn't raised in a, in a home that, that cracked open the Bible or, or knelt for prayer. The only prayer I was ever taught with my, my, my mom and my brother was four years older than me, but he left home when he was 11. The only prayer we learned was, you know, a real classic religious prayer for children at night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. What's the next part? If I should die before I wake, great prayer for kids in the dark. <laughs> what brain dead person wrote that? It's not in the Bible. Come on. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Many people that prayed that died and went to hell. 
Because that prayer is not in the Bible. Because it's not a prayer at all. It's foolish. God is not asking us to barter with him. He's not asking us to negotiate with him. He's asking us to believe on him. He's got it working really good. You know, the world when calamity happens and chaos and shootings and, you know, murders and, and, and hurricanes and tornadoes, people always say, where was God? Why did God allow this? Let me tell you where God was. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't ever leave you, you left him. I mean, Jesus had it figured out in John 10, 10. He said, the thief cometh not but to steal and kill and destroy. Notice it says steal and kill and destroy. He does all three. He doesn't do one out of three. He doesn't do two out of three. The devil wouldn't be a good devil if he didn't steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I am come. They might have life and have it more abundantly. So if Jesus is not confused about this, why is the church confused about this? It's the thief that comes to steal. It's the thief that's a killer, that's a murderer. It's a thief that's a mass murderer. It's a th- the thief that causes calamity and hurricanes and, and lack and disasters. Jesus came to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. And I've had actually preachers argue with me saying, well, he's talking about heaven. Oh, you mean the thief is going to be in heaven stealing, killing, and destroying? He's not. And Jesus was on this dirt ball when he said that. He was on this planet. I am come, it's inferred, I am come to earth that you might have life. Zoe is the Greek word, the full expression of life, the God kind of life, of health, of prosperity, of blessing, of favor, of wisdom. All those things belong to the church, but we must pursue him. We must eat of the living bread. Let's skip down. Now look at verse 47. He says, verily, verily, I send to you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Notice, we just believe on him and we have everlasting life. I am the bread of life, verse 48. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. In other words, God sustained the Jews, Israel, in the wilderness after the Egyptians released them. God sustained them through bread that was on the ground. Think about it, every day for 40 years. Their clothing, their shoes, their sandals never wore out. They didn't age. Think about that. But this is what happened. That bread did not give them eternal life. That's what Jesus is saying here. That kind of natural manna, that, that bread that you could go out in the mornings. This is millions of people. Go out in the morning and just go through the desert and pick up your, your breakfast. There are other times that he fed them other things, but it was manna every day. What was it a sign of? Sustenance. 
physical life. They didn't need to be there for 40 years. It's only an 11-day walk. You can look in maps in the front of your Bible or the back of your Bible. You can see it gives you a code of how far the, how far the distances are. It's an 11-day walk. It took them 40 years. Why? We're going to see it in a minute. But it's because of unbelief. It's because of offense. So God has a plan for our lives, and that's the living bread. To eat of his living bread. And he says, if we eat of that living bread and we believe on him, we will receive everlasting life. Natural bread, natural meat, natural fish, natural chicken, whatever. Pasta, whatever. I shouldn't mention food. Just, just eliminate that from your brain for a moment. But look at what he says in verse 50. He says, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. What's he talking about? The bread of life. Say not die. He said in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh. Say flesh. Which I give for the life of the world. And the Jews strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat, his flesh to eat? Strove. In other words, they were in strife. Jump down to verse 59 with me. Uh, again, I encourage you to read the whole thing. Look at verse 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. In other words, he just got to Capernaum. But I want you to, when you read this whole chapter, you'll see where he was. Remember, he taught the 5,000. He taught them spiritual and gave them spiritual food, but they were hungry for natural food. So what did he do? He multiplied five loaves and fishes for thousands. This is right after. Then he left and went into the wilderness, told his disciples to get in the boat at the Sea of Galilee and go across. And the waves were boisterous. They looked out and they saw Jesus walking on the water. He got in the boat with them. And it says right after he got in the boat with them, that immediately found themselves at Capernaum. In other words, it, they were translated. Out of the, out of the middle of the, 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 the sea, right to Capernaum. And so here he is teaching at Capernaum in the synagogues. Now notice, notice the transition. These are his disciples, not just the 12, but there were hundreds of disciples following him because of what they saw with the loaves and fishes, etc. It said, many, therefore, if disciples, when they heard this, verse 60, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear this? Boy, that Pastor Don, he's just too straightforward. That's just too hard. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto him, them, does this offend you? We're going to come back to that. What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up 
where he was before. It is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit. They are life. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm the living bread, and what I have to you is filled with life. It's the spirit of God. It's filled with life and wisdom and power. It quickens. The word says that the word quickens our mortal body. What does it mean? It makes it alive. If you have an organ, a joint, or some part of your body that's not working properly, you need to speak the word to it. Say it to your, say, uh, knee, you line up to the word. Liver, you line up to the word. Legs, you spine, you line up to the word of God and find the scripture. Because the word quickens our bodies. Quicken means to make alive. <clears throat> That's your choice. But you have the most authority over your body of anybody. You have the authority over your finances more than anybody. Speak to your finances. Well, you can't speak to money. Jesus spoke to a tree. Money comes from trees. I'm talking about paper money. Came from a tree and from a cotton field because there's cotton and paper and money. So speak to it. Speak to your pocketbook. Speak to your finances. Speak to your job. Stop complaining, stop whining, and start speaking the word. None of you would do that, but there are people listening, watching, that need to do it. Watch this. Verse 64. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. How did he know it? Back up to verse 61. Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, in other words, he didn't hear it with his natural ears. He heard it in the spirit realm. Do you know that you hear things in the spirit realm too? Many times you don't recognize it, you don't acknowledge it, but God is always talking to you and alerting you to things. So he knew this in his spirit that they were murmuring. And so he asked them, does this offend you? So how did Jesus know that they believed not, that they had no faith? They murmured, they complained, and they didn't believe. Why didn't they believe? Because they were offended. Now listen to me. This is critical that we understand how this works. This is so fundamental, it's so easy. The Bible says in John, excuse me, Romans chapter five, chapter six, read that after you read John six today. He said that we are dead to sin and sin no longer has dominion over us. Talking about believers. Sin no longer has authority over us. Why? Because sin is dead to us. It's just like a dead person, a dead relative, a dead enemy. They no longer have any authority over your life unless you let them. And many, many people, many, many people, even my age, 60s, many, many people are still offended at dead people in their past, relatives or whatever, and they're not gonna get over it. And that dead person should no longer have any kind of authority over your life. 
Sin is dead to Christians. You have been delivered from the law of sin and death to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And you need to believe it. So sin no longer has dominion over you. I was asked one time by a missionary, why do you travel alone? I said, well, I don't travel alone all the time. I try to take my wife wherever I can go, but as long as our children are at home and school age, our first priority is our children, not everybody else's children. Therefore, our children never went out in the world. Our, never, our children never blew it. Oh, they made foolish teenage mistakes like anybody, but they never went out in the sin and served the devil, thank God. My grandchildren, my seven grandchildren are doing the same thing today. Let me tell you a story about my grandson that's in the Marine Corps. He arrived there on a Tuesday. In the, in the, in the whole region of the Panhandle of Texas, Oklahoma, eastern New Mexico, western Oklahoma, the disembarking location for all military is Amarillo. They go into Amarillo, they report, they take their oath. The next day, they put them in an airplane, they ship them to, my first grandson shipped him to San Antonio to Lackland for BMT and boot camp. A Little over a month later, grandson, grandson number two is 18, did the same thing on a Monday, Tuesday morning, they flew him to San Diego he got on a bus, drove across the San Diego uh, airport to the boot camp. It's right over there across the fence. That was Tuesday. I landed there on Thursday. The rental car center is just down the street from the Marine Corps Recruit Depot, the MCRD. I've seen it many times. I drove right up to the gate. And an M, a young MP was standing there. He said, sir, what, what business do you have here? I said, well, my number two grandson just came here on Tuesday. I know I can't see him. But can I pull right up here at this turnaround? Can I pull right up here and just stop for a minute? I just want to pray for him. He said, yes, sir, you can do that. Please pull right, right around there. I got out. I stretched my hands toward that Recruit Depot, I don't know where he was on that base, but he, I know he was on that base. I stuck out my hands and I prayed for Ethan. I not only did, did that, I did that for a few minutes. I drove out and exited, waved at that MP and made sure he knew I was leaving. And I drove the circumference of the base, where I, wherever I could get close to it, right along the fence. And I walked some of it and I got out there and I'm stretching my hands and I'm calling his name. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Two weeks later, he called home unexpectedly, 1045 at night. You know, it's not, it's 845 in California, but it's 1045 in, in Lubbock. And he talked to his, or he called for his mama. She didn't answer the phone. She wasn't expecting a call from him. So the next day she called that, that number. She didn't recognize the number. And the drill instructor answered. It was his cell phone. He says, ma'am, you must have a recruit. She said, yes, I do. What's his name? Told him, told, her, told him his name. 
He said, he will call you at 1300, one o'clock. He earned a call because of his scores and because he's extremely obedient and he listens to details. He said, the only time he ever got in trouble this week so far, these two weeks, is that he outran me Because he's been training. He's been in cross country and he's running six miles a day. So he's been in training. He outran me and I had to back him off. That's the only time he got in trouble. But it's not real trouble. He called at one o'clock. And she's rejoicing and he's rejoicing. Everybody else is at school or work. She's self-employed. She builds houses and she answered the phone, and it's Ethan. She told him the story. I landed there on Thursday. I drove up to the gate. I prayed for him. I drove around the whole base and prayed for him. He said, Mom, I know. I felt it. I felt it. I knew it. I knew it was Papa John. Now listen to me. The reason God has given us living bread is so we can give life to other people. So we can go to heaven and take others with us. And if we don't take our own children and our grandchildren with us, my God, what are we doing? Come on, somebody. What are we doing? God has a plan for our lives. We need to eat the living bread. We need to chase Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Stop waiting for Jesus to just show up on your doorstep when you've been running from him. Run to him. Run to him. When I was a young man, I was running from God. I was ex very successful in a lot of ways. But I was running from God and I knew I was missing God. I parked my car at the Houston Ob Hobby Airport. I hopped a Southwest Airlines jet to Lubbock, Texas, of all places. I had two big boxes back then and they didn't have any very many restrictions. You could have 70 pounds of luggage and, or a box or whatever. I, I packed everything I had and some suitcases in a big box and checked my bags. I left my car in the parking lot of Houston Hobby Airport. For all I know, it's still there. It wasn't a great car. But I knew, I knew I needed the leadership of a pastor in West Texas, and he could pour into me, he could, he could discipline me, he could instruct me, he could speak into my life, and I've never been the same since. That's where I met my wife, that's where we, we had our two children, that's where God called us to, into the full-time ministry. 40 years ago this year. 
Now I've got to close. I just want to give you some instructions here. Look, look, at, look at what Jesus says in the next few verses. Especially John chapter 6, verse 65. Therefore said I unto you that no man, say no man, no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. In other words, we have been given a choice to follow Jesus by the Father. We have the ability, this is what this is referring to, we have the ability to believe on him, given to us by God. Bible says unto every man has been given the measure of faith. In other words, if God did not give us any faith, we could never believe on Christ. But God gave every person the ability to have faith and to believe on Christ. Come on, somebody. But notice John chapter six, verse 66. John six, six, six. I don't believe this is coincidental. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. We say, well, that's crazy. Those people who saw those miracles, those people who probably participated in those signs and wonders, those, those disciples that witnessed, disciple men's follower, they were following him because they were seeing and they were experiencing the goodness of God. But even them, walked no more with him. They no longer believed him. You know that on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people in the upper room, but Jesus told over 500 to go to the upper room. And every crowd, every crowd, there's a group of believers, there's a group of unbelievers. There's a group of followers, there's a group of rejectors, even in this room right now. There comes a time we all have to get out of the crowd and become a congregation. What's the difference? A crowd just shows up, a congregation grows up. And it's necessary that we, as believers, are a congregation. In other words, we can be pastored. That means we can be corrected. We are sheep. We need a shepherd. And the word will correct us. The word will instruct us. Our leaders, we should give them permission to correct us. Come on, somebody. But, 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 I don't want to be corrected. But, then you're not a sheep, you're a goat. But, 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 but. That's a different seminar. I notice something here. Turn over to Hebrews chapter four and we'll wind this down. Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews is the largest book in the back of your, right before you get to Revelation. After second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter four. Look at verse two. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. 
But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Look at this in the Amplified. This will really help us. For indeed, indeed we have heard the glad tidings, the gospel of God or the good news proclaimed to us just as truly as they or the Israelites did when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. But the message that they heard did not, say did not, did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith. Now here's a reason to have an Amplified Bible or on your screen through some resource. This is a definition of faith. With the leaning of the entire personality on God and absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness by those who heard it. In other words, we're not just hearers, but we're doers. We're leaning on him. We're trusting on his wisdom. We're trusting in his power. We're trusting in his ability. Hallelujah. That's what faith is. Faith is not some little mamsy, pamsy belief system. Faith means you're all in. You're committed. You're dedicated. Come on, somebody. Many Christians have more faith in the chair or the pew they're sitting in. They don't even give it a moment's thought. Is this just going to hold me up? Is this strong enough to take care of me today? We don't even give it a moment's thought. We, we think about where we sit, but we don't think about that chair. Is that chair stable? We never think about that. But people question God's ability all the time. But if I believe in Over 20 Marine recruits, my grandson's platoon out of 120, over 20 attempted suicide in the first week. Why? Because they're too soft today. We've made and built a victim mentality in our world. Everybody's a victim. It's everybody else's fault. I'm not gonna take my personal accountability and personal responsibility. It's grandmama's fault. It's my mama's fault. It's my daddy's fault. It, it, it's the doctor's fault because he slapped me two times on my bottom so I would breathe. I'm a victim. I, I was mistreated. Come on, suck it up, buttercup. You are not going to live a victorious life in Christ as long as you're a victim. You need to be a victor. Come on, somebody. We've been made more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're not all so rans. We're not swimming around in the pool of mediocrity. We are champions, glory to God, in Christ Jesus. But it's a discipline. And that's what the bread of life does. It gives us a discipline. Look at the rest of this. It says that we trust in him by those who heard it. Neither were they united in faith with the ones Joshua and Caleb who heard or did believe. So he's liking us to the 12 spies that were sent into Canaan. And only two came back with a good report. Only two of those went into the promised land 
and even named a mountain after themselves. Joshua and Caleb. They said, sure, there are giants, but we're surely able to destroy them and take care of them because the grapes, the fruit, the land, oh, it's worth fighting for. Come on, somebody. We need to get a glimpse of what Jesus has provided for us. It's worth fighting for. I talked to the men yesterday about the two kinds of Christians that the Lord showed me years ago. They're either contenders or pretenders. We need to stop pretending we're Christians and we need to contend for the faith. We need to fight for something. And let me say something to you that the Spirit of God just gave me a few days ago. This is what he said, I told the men yesterday. If you're not fighting It means that you've already been captured by the enemy. We should be fighting the good fight of faith. What is that? The fight that's already been won. The fight that's a good fight. Why is it called good? Because it's of God and it's already been won and we are victors. He always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Come on somebody. Be seated. I know you're excited. Please be seated. But it's necessary if we're going to live the life that he's provided for us, we must eat the living bread. The living bread will build your faith. The living bread will give you wisdom. The living bread will heal your body, somebody. Come on. We say, what is... All this talk about Old Testament, Old Covenant, Passover, Feast, and the Lamb have to do with the New Testament because Jesus is our Passover Lamb. Come on. It says, I didn't give this to the guys, but I'll just quote this out of the Amplified in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 and 7. It says, I want to talk to you about the condition of your church. Talking to the church at Corinth. Your boasting is not good. In other words, we we should never say, our church is the greatest church. We're not in a competition. I like what Pastor Dave said earlier. There are many churches on the way here that are good churches. And you, you need to understand, this is not the only church. God has many places. You need to go where God plants you, amen? You need to go where he leads you. And don't compare anybody else. Don't compare preachers. But that's what this church at Corinth were doing. They were boasting. And indeed, it is most unseemly and entirely out of place is what he said. Do you not know that just a little leaven will ferment the whole lump of dough? Purge or clean out the old leaven. What does that mean? the impurities out of your life, that you may be fresh and have fresh new dough, still uncontaminated as you are for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. But here's what we do as Christians. We wanna cherry pick all the stuff we want We want sanctification, we want redemption. 
We want righteousness. We want healing. We want blessing and prosperity. We want wisdom. But all that service, all that sacrifice, I don't want that. That doesn't fit on me. That walking in love, pastor just doesn't understand what I've been through. You know, I can manage my grudges. Oh, and I, I want all those favor over here, but boy, that tithing and sowing, that's not for me. Oh, that serving on October 31st at harvest, nah, we'll let somebody else do that. We want to cherry pick. And the list is long. You're not discerning the Lord's body. You're not taking all of him. Remember in the Passover, back in Exodus, you go back and read that too. Chapter 11, chapter 12. God told Moses, gave him explicit instructions what to do. She said, get all the people and instruct them. They're to find a spotless, blameless lamb, a pure lamb. They're to roast him. And not only are they going to roast, roast him, you can't use water. You can't boil him. And you have to eat the whole thing overnight. Including the word used in the King James pertinence parts. That means the guts. Usually they gut it, clean it, and burn that. And now we're going to have to eat the guts. We're going to have to eat all. See, and he said, only use bitter herbs to remind yourself of how bitter this slavery has been. But see, many, many Christians, they only want the sweet parts of Jesus. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? That is only want the sweet parts and the, the kind parts. We don't want the difficult parts. We don't want the dying to self parts. But that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're of no use to anybody unless we've died to ourselves. We're no use to his kingdom until we've laid down and crucified our own flesh. Come on, somebody. My preaching's better than your shouting so far. But it's necessary that we do these things because if we don't, the enemy will sneak in and steal and kill and destroy. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.